Well, turn with me to, uh, to Luke. This is in the front of your bulletin, uh, as well as in your Bibles, Luke 19. <clears throat> We're looking at verses 28 through 40. As we track with Jesus the events of Holy Week, the final week of his life, beginning with his, what's called the triumphal entry uh, that begins on Palm Sunday. Luke 19, verses 28 through 40. On February 11th, 1990, Nelson Mandela was released from a South African prison. And Mr. Mandela, at the time, was 71 years old. At age 44, uh, Mr. Mandela was imprisoned for his active opposition to apartheid. And apartheid was a system of legalized segregation and discrimination uh, that disproportionately hurt uh, the people of color who lived in South Africa. So for this crime of opposing apartheid, Nelson Mandela spent the best years of his life behind bars, doing hard labor. He was limited to one visitor every six months for one hour. Yet <clears throat> behind bars, it was when he chose to forgive his captors and he chose to pray for freedom, not just for himself, but for his whole country. And he prayed for reconciliation for all of South Africa. After 27 years of incarceration, Mr. Mandela crossed the threshold of his prison um, and was a free man. He wore a simple suit. Uh, he took his wife, Winnie's hand, and together they walked into the streets of Cape Town. Waiting to greet uh, them, were hundreds of thousands of his fellow countrymen, South Africans, flooding the streets. There was no marketing campaign to get them out to support him. They just knew it was coming, and they came to support who they saw as their true leader. And so when they saw him uh, in all of his uh, post-incarceration simplicity, they celebrated, they danced, they sang, um, and because they knew that uh, his freedom from prison promised their freedom from apartheid. Mr. Mandela walked up the steps of Cape Town City Hall and he said these words, my friends, comrades, and fellow South Africans, I greet you all in the name of peace, democracy, and freedom for all. I stand here before you not as a prophet, but as a humble servant of you, the people. Today, the majority of South Africans, black and white, Recognize that apartheid has no future. It has to be ended. It is an ideal which I hope to live for and to end to achieve. But if needs be, it is an ideal for which I am prepared to die. Now, if you ask me, that's real leadership right there. Here was a leader who was willing to go to prison for 27 years so that his country could be free from apartheid. Here was a leader who was actually not only willing to go to prison, he was willing to die to break the back of injustice. If you have a leader like that, you don't need hype, you don't need marketing campaigns. As soon as he's released from prison, people are gonna flood the streets and they're gonna rejoice because this man stands for freedom. And I have to say, in a day like ours, don't we long for a leader like this? I mean, don't we long for a leader who would give of himself or give of herself 
for the good of others, someone who would go to jail, someone who would give their life, someone who would fight for freedom, someone who would fight to set others free rather than take from them in order to gain the benefits of leadership. Um, someone who will face the toughest uh, problems of our day, be it apartheid or the racism behind it, at their own personal cost. We would come out to celebrate a leader like that every day of the week. And we wouldn't need to be manipulated into it. There would be no hype necessary. We would come out to celebrate. Now, this Palm Sunday, we have come out to celebrate a leader who surpasses even the likes of Nelson Mandela. And his name is Jesus Christ. Because uh, as Jesus makes his triumphal entry into Jerusalem, um, we can rejoice because of what it represents. Here is a leader who is willingly riding to his death for our freedom. And this is a king that we can finally celebrate. We're going to look together at Luke 19, and we're going to just celebrate Jesus. <laughs> we're going to celebrate Jesus Christ. We're going to celebrate his humility, which is a refreshing thing to see in a leader. We're going to celebrate his track record of setting people free. And finally, we're going to celebrate his courage because this took a lot of guts to do what he did. Um, let's celebrate the humility of Jesus. Have you ever heard of the phrase, you are what you drive? You know, the ride that you choose for your big day, your big moment, is symbolic. What is the ride that Jesus chose for his big moment? Well, it's right here in um, Luke 19, 28. When he had said these things, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. Now he drew, he drew near to Bethpage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet. He sent two of the disciples saying, go, enter the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. And if anyone asks of you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. <laughs> The Lord has need of what? A big war horse like the, like the Roman generals would wear um, to, to victory, to celebrate like the Roman Empire? No, a colt, a young colt upon which no one, even an untrained colt. Have you ever tried riding one of those? An untrained donkey. Um, why would Jesus choose such a humble ride? You know, I think one of the things I appreciate most about Jesus is that he found honor in just obeying scripture. He would just obeying the scriptures and the scriptures foretold in, in Genesis 49 and Zechariah 9 that the king of Israel would ride a donkey into Jerusalem and that would be like a victory march. Like the leader of Judah, the leader of Israel would ride a colt uh, upon which no one has ever sat. And you know what? Jesus Christ was, uh, his glory was to just go ahead and obey the scriptures and fulfill the prophecy, and fulfill the expectations, to some degree, of the, the people of Israel. Um, there was a lot of humility in Jesus. Just, you can watch this in any of the Gospels. Jesus was not only willing, but he was also very happy to obey the simple instructions of God that is laid out in the scriptures, and that's one of the things that shows Jesus's humility. Um, you know, Jesus is also quite secure in his status as God's son. And at every turn in his life, including this moment, Jesus is always going to choose 
the more humble option when he has the chance. Um, Jesus, you know, on his triumphal entry, doesn't need to roll up in a whip, right? A whip. No. <laughs> Why? You know what? Because he's the king of the blind, the lame, the, the oppressed, the downtrodden, people, people who, uh, who need to see in their leader that he doesn't have to have all of the fancy stuff. He doesn't have to flaunt his privilege. He doesn't have to flaunt his power. He's actually quite ready to just choose the more humble option. You think about Jesus um, when, uh, when he was tempted in the wilderness. And you know, the, the, uh, the enemy kept giving him options to be fancy and to be impressive and be spectacular. And he's like, no, 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 no. What does he do? No, he quotes the word of God. And he's like, no, you don't put God to the test. And there's something better than bread. I'm not going to I'm not going to miraculously do anything with bread until it's time to feed other people. He goes the way of humility every single time. Now, um, you've seen the movie The Wizard of Oz. Is that still in circulation? The Wizard of Oz? You know the Wizard of Oz style of leadership? The Wizard of Oz style of leadership is a small little man hiding behind a curtain using smoke and mirrors and technology to make himself look bigger and meaner and more powerful than he actually is. A style of leadership that is afraid to actually come out and be vulnerable. Um, I am the great and powerful wizard of Oz. Ah! Illusion, intimidation, manipulation, hype. Isn't that the kind of leadership that we are just inundated with? But it's nothing new. It's the same thing in Jesus' day. Um, this is the, it's the outside-in model. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do some tricks outside here, and that's going to, to aggregate power to myself. That's the outside-in model of leadership. And Jesus is an inside-out type of leader. Um, he just had it. He just had it. That's, it's the same with Nelson Mandela. You know, Nelson Mandela, he just had his leadership qualities because why? For 27 years, he gave his freedom for the freedom of others. For 27 years, he chose to forgive as the first act of South African reconciliation. Jesus Christ is the par excellence inside-out leader. Where with his own life, with his own fasting and prayer, with his own obedience, with his own sacrifice, with his own humility, he is willing to, to, to show what kind of leader we need and look for. He didn't have to pretend to be God's son. He just was God's son. So Jesus rolls in Jerusalem one last time, the king of Israel, and he's riding on a donkey. Um, and, and, and you know what? The last week of his life, you just watch it. Every act of leadership is going to be humble, the humble option. Um, his inaugural banquet will be a simple meal of bread and wine, and even including people who will sin against him, betray him, leave him. He will raise up a cabinet of leaders by washing their feet and becoming a servant in their midst, calling them to the same thing. And then he will be enthroned and exalted um, before, all, before the whole earth, not as Satan tempted him to, um, but on a cross. 
where he would be accused and bloodied and die. This is the humility of Jesus, and it's just refreshing to see it. <clears throat> it's, so, uh, uh, it's so much what we need in our leader. So verse 32, um, those who were sent away found, found the cult just as he told them. And, uh, and his, disciples, his disciples go, and maybe they were hoping like, okay, we're going to go get the cult, and maybe, you know, the owners won't notice. They're like, okay, get in the cult, get in the cult. This is weird, never done this before. But lo and behold, verse 33, and as they were untying the cult, the owner said to them, what the heck, dude? Why are you untying the cult? And they said, the Lord has need of it, okay? Now, they may, this owner may have known in advance. Jesus may have sent word. But in any case, the owner of the cult, the disciples, they're, they're obeying. They're like getting in line. And uh, they're, they're not putting up a fight. And um, I love the moment that follows because they got the cult. They bring it back. And verse 35, they brought the cult to Jesus. And throwing their cloaks on the cult, they set Jesus on it. We could just picture this moment. You know, they're on the Mount of Olives. And this is where Jesus um, uh, was preparing to for his big day. This is his big moment. This is the inauguration of the king of Israel. I mean, they've been waiting for this moment for, for hundreds of years, thousands of years. Like the, the David's son is finally the God's eternal son um, who will rule forever and ever is finally going to be enthroned as king of Israel. He's going to ride on a colt just like the prophecy said. And it's going to be a, an amazing moment. And, and so um, they're like, okay, Jesus, have you ever been part of a wedding where you're like with the groom before he walks in or with the bride before she walks in? It's just like this little buzz of like a really special moment. And this huddle of disciples is all around Jesus. And they're like, all right, let's, let's get this ready. They take uh, their, their, their cloaks off and they smooth out the edges. And then they set Jesus on it, like maybe one disciple for each of his elbows. And they're like, all right, here you go. They set Jesus on it. They smooth out his robes, and uh, and they're like, "All right, let's let let's let's go." And so Jesus begins to to walk down the mountain. They have to go down the mountain to the Valley of Kidron before they go up back into Jerusalem. And so this is just sort of picturing the downward, like the donkey's going down, you know. And you can hear like the crunch of the pebbles, and you can maybe see the 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 dust coming up. And so others put their cloaks on the road, and they make they make sort of a patchwork red carpet for our Lord. And this is a beautiful moment to me because it's a, it's a humble moment, but it's also an honoring moment. That this is, this is the king here um, over cults and cloaks. And, and just there's a down and dusty um, group of people who have been healed by him and who love him with all their hearts and some of whom will follow him all the way to the cross. And he's really glad to, to be in their midst. We can celebrate with them the humility of Jesus. But you know what we can also celebrate is what they celebrated, which is the, uh, the track record of Jesus. I'm reminded again of, of um, South Africa. After a few years after uh, Mr. Mandela's release from prison, just a few years later, he was elected president of the country. And 63% of the vote sent his party uh, to, to, to power. And it was the first time that people from all nationalities and all ethnicities in South Africa could legally vote. Isn't that amazing? It was in 
1994. And, um, and so news footage from that time um, showed the elderly, the infirm, the disenfranchised going to the polls, and then they would go to the streets to rejoice. I was watching some news footage uh, from, from that time, and they were, doing, they were interviewing people. And one, one woman said, it's a big day because each one will be free. Each and every one is going to be free. And then they interviewed an older gentleman who said this, I feel like I was just born by my mother. Now I can retire to heaven. They had longed for years for a brighter day in South Africa. And so they had this like joy because they knew that like based on Nelson Mandela's track record, that his reign was going to be good. And so they were already out in the streets celebrating what he had already done, anticipating what he would do. And we see a similar sort of confidence and celebration over like, what has Jesus already done? And you can hear it in their voice. You can hear it in these words in verse 37. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen. 38, saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Here's a loud, happy moment of celebration. Gathered are the likes of, you know, Luke says his disciples. These are people uh, like Mary Magdalene, who was delivered from um, all kinds of demonic oppression. And Zacchaeus, perhaps, was there, who was delivered from enslavement to money. And Mary and Martha were there, and Lazarus raised from the dead, and and Matthew um, delivered from extorting people, and people whose lives Jesus had delivered from all kinds of pain and evil. It's really powerful when Jesus has done it for you personally and done it for the people that you love. Think about all the people that were huddled around Jesus saying, like, we've seen God's mighty works through this guy. We've seen it, and so we're so happy that he's taking power. We so are so happy that he's becoming king because he has already set the lonely in families. He's already given blind people sight. He's already clothed formerly spiritually oppressed, demon-possessed people, clothed them um, and put them in their right mind and set them free from oppression. He's, um, he's uh, given legalists liberty, and he's made people-pleasers into God-fearers, and he's um, helped the embittered learn how to forgive. The mighty works, the track record is so good. It's so good. And so now he's riding into Jerusalem as king, and it's a big day because each and everybody's going to be free. It's not just me anymore. He's going to offer it to everybody. So they rejoiced, and they praised God with a loud voice. Because they had seen God's mighty works in Jesus. And so they said, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. There are a reason they were holding those palm branches in the air. There are a reason they were saying, glory to God in the highest. We've all got our problems right now, don't we? we we've got our own version of apartheid. We've got our own version of racism. We have our own version of being blind and lame and oppressed and held back and frustrated. We've got personal problems. We've got family problems. We've got societal problems. We've got things that feel like they are never going to get better. They're only getting worse. Um, And so there are things that we worry about every day. There are things that we see on the news, and it's like, 
how is this gonna end? I mean, even the war in Ukraine, it's like, what, what's gonna happen? It's only gonna get worse, only more death. And it feels like, um, it feels like our best days sometimes are behind us and the future is dark and bleak. And so um, we can lose hope in times like this, can't we? We can feel like this, this is never going to change. This is only going to get worse. Can Jesus actually do it again? But think about what the Lord has done for you. Think about what he's already done for you personally. Think about what he's already done um, for uh, people that you care about. Situations where he's intervened, where he's brought miracles, where he's brought breakthroughs, where he's brought healing. And let's remember his track record today. Let's, Let's remember, let's hold fast to what he has already done. He has already triumphed over sin on the cross. He has already triumphed over death in his resurrection. He has already started his new creation, and he's just getting started. Um, And so we give to him our broken situations, and we go, your track record is so good, there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God in Christ. We celebrate his humility, we celebrate his track record, and finally we can celebrate his courage. Um, Verse 39, some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, teacher, rebuke your disciples. Now, to my ears, this sounds a little bit like a warning. Stand down, teacher. Rebuke your disciples because they're hailing you as Messiah of Israel. This is your last chance. You know this is the feast of the Passover. You know there's already a price on your head. And you know what they'll do to you. You know what we'll do to you if you keep this up. You keep this fervor around your kingship going. If you don't confront this, we will confront this. Rebuke your disciples, teacher, and stand down. Um, William Barclay calls Jesus' triumphal entry an act of glorious defiance and superlative courage. Glorious defiance and superlative courage. Because he didn't go in through a secret back channel, and he could have. There was no back alley entrance into Jerusalem. Um, He was not holding his status a secret anymore. He had for a long time, but now it's time for everybody to know, I'm the king of Israel. And so he comes into Jerusalem at the peak of Passover fervor, where there was a lot of people, and there was a lot of eyes on him. And he was provoking the hand of the Jerusalem power brokers. He was was willing to be a lightning rod, and he was willing to become the Passover lamb. He was willing to die for our freedom, quite willing. So verse 40, he answered this warning, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. I'm not going to tell them to be quiet, and I'm going to let the praises roll until I die and are raised again. And you know what? At the very end of the Gospel of Luke, the last thing that is recorded is the disciples in the temple praising God. Hallelujah. And he knew that day was coming. He knew all of heaven and earth would rejoice as he carried out the mighty deeds of God in the humility of the cross. You read through the Gospel of Luke, you can see all kinds of songs at key moments in Jesus' life. Remember Mary's song, The Magnificat? My soul rejoices in God, my Savior, because he has looked upon the humble estate of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, 
Why? Because he who is mighty has done great things for me. Remember the songs of the angels in Luke 2? The, the uh, huge choir of angels praising God before the humble shepherds. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace and goodwill. There's all kinds of songs around Jesus in the gospel of Luke. And this is just one of them. Jesus knows that heaven and earth are going to go ahead and do their thing when he does his thing. Amen? The stones are going to rejoice. The creation's going to be set free when Jesus does his thing. The angels are going to rejoice. The disciples are going to rejoice in the temple. And we may as well rejoice. Um, you know, in the years that followed Jesus' great triumph, the triumph of this day, the triumph of his cross, the triumph of his resurrection, triumph upon triumph, what happens um, uh, in the years that followed? People began to um, visit Jerusalem to, to mark the last week in the life of Jesus. And they would relive all these moments. They would relive like we are, Palm Sunday and Monday Thursday and Good Friday and, and Easter Sunday. And that's where, that's where the fast of Lent began. It was like, let's fast and pray until the first light of Easter Sunday. And then let's feast till our bellies pop. And uh, this is where Holy Week started. And every year that the Christians around the world would do this, whether it was in Jerusalem or whether it was um, back where they lived, you know, they found that the Lord would show up through his Holy Spirit in very significant ways. And he would just continue his healing work. He would continue his deliverance work. He would continue bringing freedom. And so we as the church in our day, we track with Jesus we, we hail him in his victory as he marches into Jerusalem in this triumphal procession Sunday. But we keep following him. We follow him every day. We, we follow him as he cleanses the temple. We follow him as he confronts the religious elite. We follow him in his final night where he washes his disciples' feet and he institutes his meal that we have. We follow him all the way to his cross. And we, and we, uh, we, we praise and magnify him for his cross. And we celebrate with joy Easter Sunday. We don't just do this to go through the motions. We do this to pay attention to Jesus Christ, to fix our eyes on him, to stay close to the cult, wherever he is going, wherever, wherever this humble king goes, things change around Jesus. He brings deliverance wherever he goes personally and societally. He brings life. He brings hope. Do you want that for your life? Do you want that for your family? Do you want that for the things that you are uh, losing sleep over. Let's stay with Jesus this holy week. Let's keep our eyes fixed on him. Because here is a leader we can trust. Here's a leader that needs no hype, no marketing campaigns, no gimmicks, no slogans. Here's a leader who from the inside out bears in his bones the mighty deeds of God. And whenever, wherever he goes, he is doing the mighty deeds of God for the people that he loves and he cares about. So let's be confident following our leader. Though our lives be filled with suffering and setbacks, though we are lowly in the face of great problems, he's come to bring us freedom. He's come to set everything right. We don't have to muster it up. We can just be down and dusty people staying close to the cult. It's a big day because each and every one is going to be free. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.